I think we saw the emergence of the pass rush. You know, I think that the key was we took away their running game. And there's a couple of things I want to point out. Just no Auburn fan's going to listen to this. But if they did and they were to say, well, Carrion Johnson wasn't healthy, what I would say is neither was Alabama's inside linebacking core. And if they are, you're probably not in this game. So maybe shut up. Welcome to Chapel Bell Curve, a stats-focused podcast about UGA football. I'm triumphant, tearful, happy Nathan. And I am a very warm, soft, and fuzzy Justin. (laughs) We're just picking adjectives out of a hat because we don't know what to do because we're crying. (laughs) Well, I'm crying, and Justin's happy, and Justin's fiance is crying, and my wife is crying. Everyone's crying. Yeah. She sent me, or she put on a a status I posted uh, when I posted the, the... the uh, angel tag she put on a status like uh, where zero is um, not crying and 10 is your wedding. I'm at 20 and she ugly <laughs> cried at our wedding. So I'm imagining it was really a sight to see. It was pretty good. So you shared that angel tag video and Anna watched it maybe seven or eight times. And to anybody that isn't watching the video, it sounds like absolutely nothing um, right. until you can like look at it and understand what's going on. Then you can kind of follow the baseline. But Anna just sat in the car and at this bar we were at, for about 20 <laughs> minutes just watch this video over and over again just and crying. just cried <laughs> just cried again and again and again um, um those of you that do not know i don't know if i shared this in the last show but um anna and i are up in maine visiting our, our one of our best friends kylie and um who kylie's ha- not a big football fan but kylie has been kind enough to share her very nice recording setup with you so that we can do this yes. podcast on yes. time i'm up in maine right now and we're recording this review episode and so i'm up in in her bedroom while Anna and her are downstairs cooking dinner, which is fantastic. Yeah. So, no time loss. We're here. Yes. We're getting this on yes. time. <laughs> so, so, so much. Um, all right. So, obviously, we're, it's, it's going to be really hard to organize our thoughts here because this weekend was just so crazy and incredible and great. But in case you are a Georgia fan and are experiencing some sort of like memory lapse, um, you know, Georgia beat Auburn 28-7 to in the mm-hmm. SEC Championship this year. Or this, sure well, this year, but also on Saturday. This weekend, And yeah. was then given a slot in the um, Rose Bowl against Oklahoma in, as part of the college football playoff semifinal. So, um, let's go and do our normal thing that we do. Let's talk about the, the day that was and how our, um, you know, we're going to try to be as statistical as possible. But there are also going to be a lot of stories about me crying and philosophy and just where we are as a program um Mm -hmm. so let's start it off so what was your experience of watching this game yeah um so i'm up in maine like i said and it's kind of a crazy world that college football is not important here at all like above the mason dixon line it's really it's it's few and far between on as to who finds it important and that kind of shows in all of the ways our conferences are all devised of course um but yeah we we told kylie before we got here we planned this trip months ago and so it was before we knew about the season and we knew about what was going to go on because otherwise we may have planned this trip a different way um just so i could have been in athens most likely or in atlanta or wherever right but it worked out the way it did and it worked out wonderfully um because we went out to this arcade bar and we went to this arcade bar that's like the walls are lined with pinball machines and there's video games and all the tvs are saved for streaming um Mm -hmm. like video game streaming which i think is hilarious and they were like no you guys can't watch the game here that's pretty (laughs) awesome yeah these are all video game streaming tvs and we're like that's okay can we go anywhere else and they said there's a sports bar across the the street and they're like fine but um sports bar to these folks means a completely different thing to to you and i because we walked across the street to this like 
super incredible, very posh, like pizzeria with some of the rarest beers I've ever seen in one place at a bar. Um, right. It was just beautifully decorated. And we had a TV literally right in front of us above the bar. And we were able to kind of park there and entertain the, the main masses for four hours because they did not understand what was going on or why we were so enthralled or invested, um, which I, I found really fantastic. One of my favorite things from the whole experience was when we did walk into that arcade bar. It's called Arcadia. Yeah. And we said, hey, are you, are you guys going to be playing the SEC championship? And the guy behind the bar looked at us and goes, what, what does that mean? because <laughs> you literally so you just sure. came in here speaking spanish to me and i, I don't speak spanish baxter you know that yeah <laughs> uh but yeah it ended up being incredible i got some some beers from firestone walker which is a, a world-renowned brewery out it, in it California. very much is yeah wow they're you got very, that very good that's an they awesome had like four beers on top uh, on tap yeah that's amazing by firestone walker um but yeah that was it was pretty fantastic many times i had to shush anna because like i said it was a very posh kind of quiet and fancy um pizzeria and oh they also served pizzas by the pound you didn't choose like the size of your pizza or how many slices it was by the pound and i got a pound of pizza how many slices was that was that like one slice like it was like one and a half slices but one pound of whole pizza um we had a fantastic time we got to teach these folks next to us there um there was a couple next to us it was um and he was telling us that his boss was an Alabama fan, so therefore he was a Georgia fan this weekend. And so the guy was watching and, and kind of asking a bunch of questions, making sure that when he got back to work on Monday, he would have enough to go back and talk to his boss about. So he's kind of asking me a bunch of questions like what he should look for and what was important and what, <laughs> who were these guys, what are their names. And so that's awesome. He could so go back him up and, right, and kind of show sure. off. Yeah, I set him up very, very well. Um, they were super cool. And, and in true main fashion, once more, he was an uh, organic farmer. And she was a butterfly catcher. Um, really? That's yeah, the most Maine main liberal, thing I've ever heard. A beautiful liberal haven. <laughs> I'm, oh, man. I'm, if it weren't for the horrible winters, I would just move there. It's a pretty fantastic and very perfect place. I love it a lot. But tell me about your time. You, had, you were at the game once yeah, more. Yeah, um, I was at the a game. A dream come true for Nathan. And let me just tell you that, and I don't think my dad listens to this. Yeah, he might listen to this one. He listens to it sometimes. But, Dad, if you had had your wedding on this weekend, you would have just been SOL, man, because I was not missing this game. Like, I, I, I was thinking, like, in the days and, like, the days and hours leading up to the game, like, I would, like, I would sell my soul to be at this game. Like, that's how, <laughs> like, that is not a joke. A hundred percent true. Um, and, you know, so I thought, okay, so let's start from the top. So Friday, I left school early and i drove straight down to the softball complex at uga where we parked and i got they were leaving at three and i got there at like 258 and i had just stuffed everything in one giant backpack uh got on the bus and it was very much like it was a very bare bones trip you know what i mean it was like they Mm -hmm. always talk about how when uga goes on like you know they always well a lot of football teams talk about like you know this isn't a, a fun trip this is a business trip like we're here to win um and so that was definitely like the feel of the red coat trip, which usually isn't the place, but the the case because we were we went Friday night. We got over there. We had an, the craziest police escort I've ever seen. There were like six uh, six uh, cruisers, right? And so mm-hmm. we get we get over there to we take you know three sixteen to two eighty five, right? So we go to we get on eighty five and we're like halfway down eighty five between three sixteen and eighty five, and we get police cruisers that are just moving traffic. Like they blocked off traffic on two, at 285 at Spaghetti Junction for like five minutes for all eight buses to come through. It was like That's the incredible. Walking Dead, dude. They did it again on the way home from the game. They blocked off traffic 
at the middle of Midtown on the connector, all like all eight lanes. And it was mm-hmm. like, it was very surreal. But anyway, so we get over there, um, we put our stuff in our hotel, and we immediately go to the Dome or to the Mercedes uh, Stadium or whatever it's called now. We immediately go over there and we get there to do, we're going to do a joint practice with Auburn's band because we're going to play the national anthem together and then we're going to do our own practice, right? And so, um, if you've ever been through the labyrinth that is the underside of the Georgia World Congress Center and that used to be the underside of the Georgia Dome, it's very similar to that. Like you're just going through these giant, like concrete uh, corridors and there's machinery and there's just stuff everywhere. Mm-hmm. So it, it definitely is like kind of unassuming. We drove around a bunch trying to find a parking space, like all eight buses. Um, we finally get nowhere we're supposed to park. We go in and look, dude, th- walking into that stadium, it is one of the few man-made objects I have seen that is truly awe-inspiring. It is, it is a masterpiece of design. It's huge. Ar- architecturally, yes. It is giant. It is architecturally giant. And it is just one of the most stunning things. And I use that word very intentionally. One of the most stunning mm-hmm. things I've ever experienced was walking that stadium from field level. Because I didn't come in from the top the first time. So I think it really gave me a sense of like what the scale was. Because mm-hmm. when I walked in at field level, it's just like there's nobody in it. And it's one of the things where like it's got it's actually not a very good acoustic building um, when it does have people in it. So there was it was very mm-hmm. live and there was a lot of like if you yelled it would just bounce off everything, you know. Um, but you know the lights were on and they had the they had the the roof was like the lights they can change the colors and say so were like yellow and blue like the SEC yellow and blue, and it was just incredible to be on that field. Um, we had a good practice Auburn's band. It was really fun to practice with them and we played the national anthem very well. I thought the next day. Um, so we have our practice. I got to get a, uh, I got a picture of me at the SEC Nation set, and I'm pretty sure I sat in fine, uh, Paul Feinbaum's chair, and that <laughs> felt pretty good. And it was like, this is what it feels like to want for someone to want to sat to assassinate you. Um, <laughs> so we get done with that. We go home, and the reason I say, or we go back to the hotel, and the reason I say it felt like a business trip was like we went back to the hotel, and it was like 12:30, and we just had a four-hour long practice, and everyone just mm-hmm. went to sleep like immediately like we couldn't even get like we got they fed us a lot but it was like there was no time to even go out and get dinner or hang out afterwards it was just like very 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 tired uh we go we get we get up the next day we get over there at like 10 or 11 10 i think and um we kind of stage and it's one of those things where it's kind of a hurry up and wait thing we're all just hanging out um there's a couple of pep rallies or whatever and we go in, and I think, like, my first big observation was that, like, it really did seem like it was a Georgia house. Like, even on the way in at the pep rallies, it seemed like there were more Georgia fans. And just as we got seated way early, and I had a pretty good view of the the entire lower bowl, and I could see, like, I mean, it was it's the sight lines in that stadium are great, so I could really tell. And as people t- tended to filter in, like, even my color blind eyes, I could see that it, <laughs> pre-game, I felt like it was 60-40. After light up, after light up the bins, I felt like it might be more like seventy five twenty five. It was um, definitely think, much higher. Yeah, yeah, I think it was somewhere in there, somewhere in between there. And um, you know, the experience of the game was pretty crazy, man. Like, I I really wanted to be cognizant of the fact that like this is an important moment. This is an important moment for our podcast. Like, someone from our podcast is here, and I want to like, yeah. chronicle that. So I just like went freaking nuts on social media. But also, I was really tr- I was really thinking a lot about like you know. Who knows how many times I'll be able to do this? I mean, I suspect more than one, but I don't know mm-hmm. I could die or whatever. Um, <laughs> and I just really wanted to like appreciate the moment. And so I really spent a lot of time. Like anytime that I was not doing something actively for our social media, I was just kind of like staring into space and like letting the experience come to me, you know? Yeah. And so that was, it was really fun. 
total swivel from the philosophy I just said, but uh, the, the, the concessions there are very good. Um, that's not They're a super rumor. affordable too. Yeah. It was like two, I got two tacos and a giant drink for like 10 bucks, which yeah. is pretty impressive. Um, and especially like by stadium food prices. And it wasn't For like real. the portions. The tacos were kind of small, but it, they were, I mean, they were fine. I mean, it was not like, I did not feel like, oh, I wasted this $11 or whatever. Um, yeah. It's, yeah, and it's not, it's not like cold necessarily. Yeah. Which yeah. is something that happens a lot. Uh, so the game, of course, we can talk more about the game. I'm just trying to like kind of talk about everything around the game. Yeah. Um, was insane. And I'm usually pretty passive, but I got to tell you, this game, I, I mean, I'm like famously stoic in the stands, right? Well, not famously, but mm-hmm. among people I, who know me, I'm very stoic in the stands. And this was a game where I was just like total like drunk sorority girl losing it. I was not drunk because I don't want to get fired, but it was like <laughs> it was the the most unhinged I've ever physically come when I was sober. Just 100 percent like at one point when I was sure that we were going to win, I'm crying. Right. And I look over to, there's this couple that's sitting next to me. And one of them is our state patrolman who kind of is our police liaison when we go in these places. And he's a red coat alum. And the other one was one of our nurses. And they've been doing this since the 90s. And I looked at them and they looked at me and she was crying. And I like literally like my knees came unhinged. Like I, I had to crouch down because I was so overcome with emotion. It was just like, I can't even describe how it felt to be in that building like not just the happiness of winning the game, but there was a real palpable sense of like, you know, this is, this is the moment where something fundamentally has changed in the program Mm -hmm. and not, and I, and it's, I don't, it wasn't even, it didn't even feel like, Oh, well now we're going to do this forever. We're going to do this so many times. It's going to be like the next Alabama. It wasn't even that. It was more like, you know, we did it at all. We did it. Yeah. Like for the longest time, all people could say all people, I mean, it was so easy to just throw stones at, uga and say like you know um well when's the last time they did anything noteworthy when's the last time they won an sec championship when's the last time they went to the playoffs or whatever and it was like just feeling that monkey come off of the collective back of the fan base was really impressive Mm -hmm. and and just like that that crowd the first couple of series things were a little bit dead because everybody we got i felt like everybody got real tight including the team thinking like oh is this the next you know is this just a repeat of four weeks ago but Mm -hmm. once um that fumble, man, that Davin Bellamy fumble, that place went crazy. That definitely I mean, just, felt like the pivot point, yeah. Oh, my God. It, and, and it was crazy because you, t- you could see on the sidelines, like, after that fumble, that sideline had been kind of dead, be very businesslike. After that si- si- like, that sideline was just as crazy immediately after that fumble as it was when we won the game. Like, people mm-hmm. throwing stuff in the air, people running around, like, people getting piled on, like, and it, it was very, very fun. Um, and, and, you know, I thought it was... I think, you know, we don't like to lean into narratives, but I think that uh, this is a hungry fan base and this is a fan base that's very self-aware of its own hunger. And I thought, mm-hmm. I thought you could feel a palpable sense of like, okay, this is what, this is the plan that we had that is working. You know what I mean? Even after an 11 win regular season, mm-hmm. it's still kind of like, well, that was a good season, but you know, we'll see. But now I feel like, I mean, at least for me, anything else that happens, I'm happy. I'm happy. As long, you know, I don't want to get blown out in the Rose Bowl, but it's like how important and for this program, just from the holistic level, has this season been? I don't know. This season would have been good either way, but this is like, now it's like whatever happens, it's, it's kind of just all gravy. It's all house money right mm-hmm. now. It was, this, oh my God. Yeah. It's been house gravy since like, even the first loss to Auburn, everything after that was still gravy. It didn't, well, matter. I mean, like, I, honestly, it still felt good. But honestly, I feel like if you, if you wanted to be like a real cynical, like, like kind of, 
I don't know, if you wanted to be the kind of guy that would just always want to be a naysayer, you could still have said after Auburn, well, this is just like Mark Rick's second year, even if they win the SEC championship. But I felt, I had a feeling that like, this Auburn team was good, you know? And we oh, really yeah, pant, we, we pants them. And even though the score doesn't reflect this, we pants them just as much as they pant, as they had pantsed us th- four weeks before. So I really don't, I, I really, I would caution anyone, even the most ardent Mark Rick fans, and if you are, I mean, if you're a Mark Rick fan, that's great. But if you still don't think Kirby should be our coach, I don't know what else to tell you, man. I would just say, like, when was the last time, even in 2002, where after an SEC championship, UGA had the chance to play for the national title? Even mm-hmm. in 2002, that was not the case. You know what I mean? We had already lost that dumb game that had cost us the season. And this year, we got a break in that we got to play Auburn again. But even that Auburn loss didn't keep us out of the SEC championship and out of the conversation. So, I mean, I really don't think, I, I, I can't think, I don't think you can underestimate how important that win was both for the season and just for the, how this, what the trajectory of this looks like. It's been, yeah, it's been absolutely incredible. And you talking about what this means for the program really reminds me of that, that really awesome article that I got to read most recently by um, uh, Will each about Will each. Yeah. I, I read that article. I was sitting in the DC airport a few uh, and I read it a few times very clearly talks about those of you who maybe are you, you never like a, a UGA student or you never lived in Athens um, I was never a UGA student but I do live in Athens so I definitely get to see like the culture surrounding the program and what it does for the city and I have plenty of friends who were very very deeply into UGA and of course the Redcoats band it it's a, it captures that feeling it, and it's something that's hard to do and you don't have a lot of writers that come through especially in the sports world in a generation that, that are able or capable to, to capture that feeling. He does. Well, a he very he's, good job he's spent so much time in Athens and, and yeah. much respect to him because he did a great job. And I, and I think what you said in terms of like what it does for the city, I think you're right. I mean, I think, you know, this has been the kind of season where I would suspect you see more people audition for the Redcoats next year. Yeah. This is the kind of season where next year it's going to be harder to get into UGA. Mm-hmm. And the thing is not to take shots or anything, but UGA started off as a better uh college than alabama before we started winning mm-hmm. like if this is the if this is the beginning of something of us like rising the national prominence for the next few, few years like we were already a pretty good school so I'm, I'm interested to see if we can quantify any of the effects on academic rates or retention or just i mean just in general anything all that to say if you haven't read it yet you should definitely go watch uh, or not watch but read that article by will leach um, well watch it with your eyes like, on earth watch it with your eyes at a time just one line <laughs> at a time back and forth Let's so move I mean, on. we're already we're already to twenty minutes, so I guess we should probably like talk about. We some should stats. probably talk about some stats. Yeah, you want to lead us so into we, the box we, score? We didn't even really talk about the. Do we have any narratives we want to talk about? Just the game in general. Um, Come, well, I, I mean, don't know. okay. There's a couple of other like. I think we should probably talk about the refs thing, like before we get into stats. Yeah, let's talk about the refs. <laughs> okay, so this was a very poorly refed game. Yeah. I mean, right? I mean, I, I I think even it was even from the standpoint of either fan base, like we got a couple too. We didn't get many, yeah. but we got a couple. And so I, I think like there's no way to say that this were, game was well reft. There were a lot of missed calls and there were a lot of calls that were pretty questionable, especially there was that passing interference um, call where they pulled back one of our touchdowns in the end zone where uh, one of their secondary defenders was pushed into the other defender and it was not intentional and it was not yeah. involved and it just didn't matter yep. at the end of the it day. Did, it, um, it did not affect the outcome of the play. Javon Wims got blocked into the other receiver um, and, you know, whatever. That's poor defensive form, but they cost us yeah. a touchdown. I mean, and we had yeah. several, we had several, I mean, 
I think you could argue if this is just an average refed game that this score of this game is more like 35 to nothing than 28 mm-hmm. 7. Seriously, yeah, exactly. I, I, I did not think it was that. I, I You know, it, when we were up 10 to 7 or when we were up like 13 to 7, I still, it, the game didn't, I mean, I was obviously very nervous, but thinking back, like the game was not that close at that point. And if we score, if, I mean, if that Terry Godwin touchdown doesn't get taken off the board, then we're sitting there going into halftime at 24 nothing or whatever, mm-hmm. 21 nothing. I mean, that's, that's a, that's the kind of like score where I don't think they could have come back from that. You know what I mean? No. And they, they didn't still, but, uh, but yeah, it would have been a, a slightly different game. Those points definitely came off of, of penalties and that's something that it could be up to us to change our game a little bit, or at least play a little bit uh, more cleanly because we did, you know, we, we lost like 60 yards off of penalties, I think. Uh, so that's something we'll definitely need to look at when we go into stats. Uh, but also I, do, I did want to bring up, I had to talk to some folks at the bar that I was sitting at was you can't, I'm going to, for a moment, I'm going to, I'm going to advocate for the refs and I will preface that with that. And I, I'm sorry, I'm about to do this, but I was huh. a ref before in a, in a different sport, um, in roller derby. And what I learned from that perspective and being a ref for as long as I was, is that you get crapped on a lot for stuff that you see and you interpret a certain way. But at the end of the day, a judge cannot, or not a judge, but a, a ref cannot judge intent. And I think that's what it comes down to. And there's just so much going on all the time you are just as much into the game as the players are to an extent. And you're just as stimulated and in some cases overstimulated trying to do a good job and try to call a fair game. And you're looking at, is this safe? Is this fair? All of those things. And then all you can do at the end of it is judge exactly what you see. And so it sucks. And these guys are definitely much better trained than I am. Um, and I, than I was when I was refing a, a different kind of sport, but um, I think it's, it's better that we give them a little bit more grace and okay. just say, well, it is what on. it is. Allow, allow me to retort. Go ahead. Two things. One, I also refed in, in, high, in college, actually. Mm-hmm. I, I football. I ref football. I, you're right. There are judgment calls. I mean, I think they made a couple of unpopular calls that were right. I think that both those face masks were right. I think, you know, you can kind of forgive them the offensive pass interference. Um, I think that there were, there were quite a few calls where, you know, yeah, like you said, sometimes... It's not that big. Of, it's not that big of a deal, but I do. There's two things I would criticize. One, it was very clear. So this this ref this ref group was an all star group. It wasn't a group that had been working together the whole year, and mm-hmm. it was very clear on watching the replay that the white hat had, did not have control of his crew. Several times yeah. he he asked them, and they said they wanted to keep the penalty on a bad penalty. And like so, for instance, on the um, there were a couple of penalties on kickoffs and a punt, and then there was that the offensive pass interference penalty where you could tell mm-hmm. that the white hat was trying to clarify. And in that moment, that's where the white hat, like the white hat, is the head ref. By the way, when the white mm-hmm. hat is asking like the back judge, like, "Hey, what did you see? What do you want to uphold this?" That is basically saying to the back judge, like, "Hey, are you sure that's a penalty? Because you can wave yeah, it off." I didn't see a thing. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. And so yeah. that that would be one criticism I would have is just like the cohesion of the ref crew wasn't there, and that's a problem whenever you have an all star crew. Um, and then mm-hmm. the second one, the second penalty I would have, or the second criticism I would have is like, they have a refs meeting with Steve Shaw before every game, right? Mm-hmm. Where they, they go over like, here's how we're going to call this game. You know, there's all these judgment calls. Here's what we're going to emphasize. Here's what we want to make sure it doesn't happen. Blah, 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 blah. So, right. Like, so before the game, um, Gary Danielson had sort of like leaked slash revealed that Kirby Smart, uh, submitted six plays of, um, defensive holding on passes against Auburn. Right. So, you would think that one way or the other, Steve Shaw is going to come into that meeting and be like, hey, so we're not going to call defensive pass interference or we are going to call it. 
the, the problem my problem is not like one or two blown calls my problem is it's clear that there was not a coherent philosophy between behind the way the game was being called at some mm-hmm. point they're just they're holding like okay so like they held a bunch of flags they never called uh never called an offensive holding on um Auburn, even though there were some obvious holds Very and obvious. then they throw a and then they throw a ticky tacky flag on a hands to the face penalty on an interception and it's mm-hmm. like that's fine to throw that flag but if you're going to throw that you have to also throw like obvious holdings where our dude is trying to go one way and his hands are up in the air but a guy has his a guy has his jersey like it it was not like it's not the missed calls and the blown calls that are a problem it's the like lack of coherence in the vision of the game state right like i refed one high school game and refed flag football for like three semesters and like i know what those terms mean like it is not mm-hmm. that hard to come together and have a communication about what you're going to do like I, I that's what i don't understand like that's what befuddled me about it it is very now, true. Will, yeah go ahead no go ahead well i was just going to say i will ha- say having said that that in the moment i was just like really like terroristic threat so angry <laughs> uh yeah, like even after saying what I said earlier, I know there, there's two more things I wanted to make a point about uh, regarding refs. One of those was when you do have that all-star kind of team, you tend to have egos um, come into the game. There's a bunch of different people that are coming from. They're the best at what they do, where they come from. And so you do lose a bit of that cohesiveness, um, not just from them not playing together, uh, but also from them coming from different philosophies, exactly like you said, just to kind of echo that. The second thing was you were talking about um, holding flags and everything. I felt like a lot of times they were throwing flags really early, then there were all those calls that they upheld even after the ref was like, what are you talking about? What's going on? And right. like, he would come to the mic, he would turn his mic on and be like, wait, what? Hold on. And some people are still talking. Um, some refs are still talking to each other and coaches are yelling and they're deciding whether or not they want to, you know, review something. And, and they're just like, hold on, like, let's, let's all get together and figure out what the heck's going on. Because it just seems like a, a bit of it was kind of hurried. And I think that that could have led to um, a few of those extra penalties because, like I said, Georgia did have uh, a few more penalties than what we would have hoped, but right. it did still come out with the W at the end of the game, which is really good. Yeah, I mean, and I mean, you're right. It, it's it's all sour grapes at this point, and we should just move yeah. on. But I, I I feel like there's just got to be more. <laughs> there's got to be more leadership from the top. Get your house in order, Steve Shaw. Get your house in yeah. order. Exactly. Um. So. Let's move into the actual game then, huh? Yeah, now that we've talked about that and yelled about that enough. So, uh, five factors box score. Let's go through these real quick. So, we'll go Auburn and then Georgia. So, points, 7, 28. You know that. Plays, 63 and 63. Actually, uh, the exact same number of plays ran. Um, yards, 259 for Auburn, 421 for Georgia. Yards per Ooh. play, four, uh, 4.11 for Auburn, 6.68 for Georgia. Ugh. Um, <laughs> drives, 11 for Auburn, 12 for Georgia. One of those was a kneel drive, but whatever. Trips inside the 40, 3 for Auburn, 7 for Georgia. Points per trip, 2.33 for Auburn, 3.86 for Georgia. It was very interesting. Um, mm-hmm. Average field position, 25 for Auburn, 31.8 for Georgia. Success rate, 0.35 for Auburn, 0.36 for Georgia. That's actually a very interesting thing we're going to have to talk about. Uh, turnover mm-hmm. margin, minus 2 for Auburn, 2 for Georgia. Expected turnover margin differential is negative 0.51 and positive 0.51, respectively. Um, and the differential is 0.149, uh, 1.49 either way, which means that basically Georgia got 1.5 points off of turnovers, turnover mm-hmm. luck, basically. Um, I think assuming that you know, you most of the time you get one of those fumbles instead of both of them. So, I mean, this is a game that looks, it's very interesting because if you look at the the deeper stats, like points per play, points per trip, this game actually doesn't look that, it, it looks pretty close. It doesn't close. look that different, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but what I think is really interesting is that the yards per play 
um, and the number of yards run really tells a story, I think, of the game, which is that, you know, once UGA got the run game going, it was just they were they were done. I mean, and yeah, and I think this is this is this is a game that played out exactly the way that Kirby Smart wants to win games in the largest like ten thousand foot view sense of the of his vision because it's like they can run as many plays as they want, um, and we can have a hard time converting third downs. But at the end of the day, if we run six yards a carry on uh, with like our five good running backs, then we're gonna mm-hmm. win, and that's kind of what happened. Um, you know, and I mean, we can talk about explosive plays and turnovers and stuff, but I mean, I think at the end of the day, that's really the story. Auburn could not stop our running game. And in the fourth quarter, mm-hmm. I mean, that was what one, I mean, what sealed the game was the fact that Auburn has two very good running backs injured and they don't have anybody else to tur- turn to. UGA loses for the rest of the game, arguably its best back and turns to its, f- its fourth back and he runs for a 65 yard touchdown. Yeah. Like, that's the, that's the difference in the incredible. game to me. Yeah, we even talked about this in our in our preview is just talking about how we needed to make Auburn more predictable. And the way we did that was take away their run game. You take away one of the facets of their, their offense, whether it's run or passing game, mm-hmm. and you allow them to just run what they have what they can run at that point. And that's pretty much what we did. We just held yeah. Carry on Johnson. He only had thirteen rushes on the day for well, we did, yards. We did exactly what we talked about with you know, making that triple yeah. option only have two options. And then Jarrett Stidham was pretty much all they had, and we were able to to keep him short the rest of the day, which is what inevitably led to uh, pretty much their downfall. All their passing down plays were, we can talk about that too, because it's not very yeah. good for us. Their passing down success rate was 20%, and their passing success rate was 31%. Um, that yeah. just didn't didn't work out when that's what they were running most of the day for the rest well, of the day. Well, we clamped down, and the thing was, I think you're, you're 100% right to, to point out the run than the pass, because I think mm-hmm. that's what we did. We, we clamped down on carry on Johnson, so we actually talked about this last week, was that you know, a lot of spread teams, what they do is they go to this like outside run game, right? Or this outside pass game that replaces their run. You throw short passes, you throw, you know, crossing rats, you call it, you throw quick digs and just all game long, my beautiful boyfriend, Roquan Smith, just ate that <laughs> crap for lunch. He, he just, he feasted on it. God, they, they're one of the like most fundamental parts of the, one of the fundamental plays that Malzahn runs. That's like one of the cores of his offense is he fakes that triple option and fakes mm-hmm. the jet sweep. And then he throws to the jet, the guy who's sweeping um, in the flat. And a lot of times that just is like as good as a jet sweep. And he did that at one point, except they had popped out carry on Johnson there. And Roquan Smith just ran him down like six yards behind the line of scrimmage. And it was just mm-hmm. like watching a lion tackle a gazelle. It was incredible. Except I was and rooting for the lion, like six feet, in, uh, you know, from where he was standing. It was awesome, yeah. and just wrapped his, him up. His, he just diagnosed like it is very clear that the preparation for this game was on a different level than the preparation for the first game mm-hmm. because he diagnosed everything they did at the snap, and that is not just Roquan Smith being a freak of nature and the winner of the Buckus Award and the AP All American Defensive Player of the Year, and also maybe the Bronco Nagurski Award winner. But that award winnings that award ceremony is going on right now. But whatever. Um, it's not just the fact that Roquan Smith is actually Superman. It's the fact that, like, it's clear that this defense was prepared for everything they, they had. And like we said in the past, like, if you get, if you make Malzahn uncomfortable, which you clearly, we clearly did, it gets you down, or he'll go down to calling the same four plays over and over again. Yep. Which is, which is clearly exactly what, what happened. Happening. Yeah. God, it was so good. One of my favorite things that happened uh, was, I think it maybe have been, in the second quarter at some point but auburn was running they were they were they had the ball and they were probably about midfield and jared Stidham walks up to the offensive line kind of sees what the defense is doing and he calls an audible 
And in response, Georgia sees what Auburn's doing, and they and call he calls an article. Yeah, yeah. And Jared Stidham kind of dropped back into the pocket before he snapped the ball, and he saw what was going on, and he walked back up to the line to the center and talked it out again and gave another audible. And Georgia was like, "Okay, we'll do that too," and eventually forced yeah. them into a timeout. But it was the funniest yeah. thing to watch um, because that was night and day from our first game with Auburn. And like you said, the preparation was just leaps and bounds more than our first game with them. We've kind of hit this from the strategic standpoint and from the narrative standpoint. Are there any other stats you want to really go into? We said passing down success rate. That's a big one. I, You know what I thought was crazy was success rate by quarter, right? So Georgia's oh, success yeah. rate by quarter, one through four for Georgia, is 20, 50, 33, 41, 38 on the game. Mm-hmm. Auburn's success rate by quarter, 50, 29, 41, 21, 37% on the game. So, I mean, it was Which like they were being... Not very good. <laughs> yeah, I, anyway. yeah it, it, I, 38's not great. You know, but I, I think it was this was one of those games where it's like they just could not get. I mean, trips inside the 40, that's like a pretty scoring opportunities inside the 40 is a pretty big deal. Like three mm-hmm. for them, seven for us. I mean, so a lot of that has to do with the sack fumble, but that came inside that came on one of their trips. Mm-hmm. Right. So like um, I it, this is just one of those things where th- in some ways this was kind of like a vintage Georgia, like pre Auburn game, Georgia defensive performance where it was just like. Well, I mean, they have some yards, but they didn't really do anything, and they had to punt a lot. So, like, you know what I mean? It was it was a mm-hmm. very it's a, a very weird stat line. But then you go over and you look at the breakdowns, and let, let's just look at your beautiful your favorite stat, your oh, fetish yeah. stat, my havoc rate. Yeah, your havoc your <laughs> havoc stat. What were our havoc plays God. like? To- I want to just before I even look at the havoc plays, just look at Roquan Smith's stat line by itself. Roquan Smith had eleven and a half tackles on the day, two tackles for loss one sack, and then two Havoc plays on his own. The next best uh, stat line is Lorenzo Carter with five tackles on the day. So Roquan Smith by himself was six and a half tackles more, and it was very apparent just watching him throughout the day, just like melting through this offensive line like butter. Like he was the butter knife. It was butter. He was more like a chainsaw melting through butter. It was insane. Just tearing it up. Even Lorenzo Carter, even all the tackles that he had, he was absolutely incredible. But at the end of the day, we did have just a crazy crazy time and our havoc plays really we only had six total on the day which is all that to say it's it's below average for all these games that we kind of trounce our opponents usually we'll have seven or eight havoc plays on the day right six was plenty and just enough to do what we needed to do against well i mean and they came at the right time right you know you have a block that that blocked field goal i feel like what really turned the momentum of the game and Mm -hmm. i know people don't a lot of people don't believe in momentum so i'm what turned the game, I think, was the strips, the strip sack by Devin Bellamy. Mm-hmm. But I think what really sealed the game was the the um, the field goal block was just oh, such a key play. Yeah. I mean, it maybe the most important uh, play in the history of like in Daquan Hawkins Muckles' uh, career. But no, it was an absolute defensive stomp down, which is kind of funny looking at uh, the percentile performances on both sides of the ball for Georgia. We had a fifty-five percent offensive percentile performance. And then a 95% defensive percentile performance. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. For Auburn, they had a 5% offensive percentile and a 45% defensive percentile. Oh, God, so, that feels so good. <laughs> so really, at the end, overall, um, Georgia was 92 and Auburn was 11. Completely flipped the table on, on that. Um, well, yeah, let, let's, talk about, let's talk about the offense for a second. I mean... Uh, we can start with Jake Fromm, who doesn't get enough credit. 16 for 22, 183 yards, 73 completion percent, two sacks, three or two sacks total. Now, what I really think is interesting is his standard down numbers. 
Eight for yep. nine, 126 yards, 89% completion rate. So mm-hmm. what did we talk about in our preview? Get yards on standard downs, first yep. and second downs. That mm-hmm. is the key. And he did it. And I mean, I couldn't be happier for him. Cheers, my friend. Yeah. And even on passing downs when we needed it the most, eight for 11 with 57, 57 yards, yards and completion rating. Yeah. Yeah. Really, really um, good day. Um, Jared Stidham, not as good a day, but we kind of already talked about how good our defense was. But let's look at these rush numbers for us. Yeah, going down the line with um, even Nick Chubb at the very top, 13 rushes for 77 yards. We had DeAndre Swift, who had just an incredible day, seven rushes, 88 yards, and yards per carry was 12 and a half at the end of the day. Hits per opportunity, uh, highlight per opportunity, excuse me, 15. So, hmm. geez, DeAndre Swift. Which a Swift. lot of that comes from that 65-yard touchdown, but it doesn't it does. matter. It's still it amazing. It doesn't matter. And I remember leaning over to those that couple that I mentioned earlier um, that I was giving the guy, I was kind of feeding him just notes about stuff, and I was like, hey, that's our third string running back. And he was like, oh, dang. And then in the fourth quarter when we had, there was a big run by, well, not a big run, just just a very powerful run by like Harry and Holyfield is what was going on. And I was like, yeah. that's our fourth and fifth string running backs. And yeah. it's like, geez. Yeah, they just um, keep coming. They never they stop. They just keep coming, um, yeah. So, I mean, I thought, you know, for the day, uh, actually had fewer line yards per carry than Auburn, 3.3 mm-hmm. line yards per carry. But I think really one of the differences is Highlight yards per opportunity, 8.07 on the day for Georgia, 2.63 on the day for uh, Auburn. So that is below the average for us, national average for them, and above for us. Now, I think what's really impressive about that, honestly, is that it says that we were tackling well in space, and it says that Roquan Smith is a beast, but also says that despite how good their pass defense was, I think that Kirby and Jim Chaney thought that if we could get our running backs into space against their cornerbacks and safeties, that they weren't Mm going to be able to hold up, and they didn't. When you're getting eight yards, when you're getting eight uh, highlight yards per opportunity, what that says is that your safeties and corners aren't tackling well. I mean, that's on the whole game. That's with what, um, 20, 27, 32, uh, 34 carries on the day total, and you still get 8.07 per opportunity. I mean, that's really, really impressive. Um, You got anything? Let's see. Any other stats we want to go into? Yeah. I mean, looking at. Biggest things we really wanted to happen were we wanted Carryon Johnson to be under four yards per carry, which we got. He was at 3.38. We got three of the four sacks we kind of were hoping for, so I'm happy with that too. Uh, we got really lucky on turnovers. At the end of the day, it really didn't matter because we still would have won regardless of those lucks. Um, other things going on, yeah, Auburn just never got their offense started. And I think it goes back to, in my opinion, just we kept them predictable. We were able to predict what they were going to do before they did it, and we were more than prepared at the end of the day uh, when this game actually started for us, so... Felt good. Felt real good. And even with that offensive percentile performance, we're at 55%, at, you know, Georgia's offense really only performed at 50% of what we're looking at. And so what we're right. hoping for, rather. And so we'll talk about that a lot more when we get into the Oklahoma reviews or previews, excuse me, but very pumped. We'll, we'll talk a lot more about Oklahoma when we yeah. get to well, that. Well, let, let's take a moment to kind of break down what our schedule is going to look like for this next yeah. few weeks. So we're going to release this on Tuesday if long as everything goes well yeah um at some point later on this week we're going to release to our patreon listeners um which we'll talk about at some point in this podcast maybe you've already heard it from the past um (laughs) we're going to release our first gag reel and rant reel to our patreon listeners which is the first reward tier we have we're going to recognize them um in a segment that you may or may not have already heard 
And then next week, we will be doing what we're going to basically do for this playoff game is we're going to take one of our normal preview episodes and break it down and blow it up into three full podcasts. So Mm -hmm. uh, next week, you will hear a podcast about the sort of uh, subjective narratives going into this game. The week after, we'll get to know um, Oklahoma from a statistical standpoint. We'll go through some film on them. We'll talk to you about where they are coming from. And then the week after that, three weeks from now, you will have our full on stats deep dive into what this game is going to look like yeah big Um, big preview yeah so that you're going to get three episodes of content from us in the next three weeks at least um if you are a patreon subscriber you're going to get an extra rant reel of mostly just me yelling um (laughs) yeah pretty much and then i you know i think that i'm leaving on the 28th and i will come back on the second assuming that i am on the trip nobody's actually told me i am so i might not be eh. but if i am on the trip it'll be 28 to the second so if I'm in California, we will be doing some little short things to, we will either send out via anchor or via our normal podcast. And we'll let you know how that's going to come out when it does. So we're going to just be really packing in the content going forward here. Um, yeah. So yeah. We're lots, really excited about come. these next few weeks too, because this will be the first and potentially only time we'll ever actually meet Oklahoma in any sort of game. Yeah. Um, so there's lots exciting. to talk about for sure. Lots to talk about getting for to know sure. Oklahoma as a team and, and kind of what, what we can expect from them. It's going to be a really good time. I do want to say before we, we move in any other section is that Auburn, those of you who don't know yet, the bowls have been released, all of the, the bowl bids and everything. Auburn has to play one of my favorite teams. Um, the UCF. Yeah. Yeah. Just one of the biggest underdogs of college football right now is UCF. And they have yeah. to play UCF. They are projected right now by Bill Connolly on Football Study Hall to lose that game to UCF. And really? that is a good feeling. <laughs> yeah. It's a 48% that, that would be awesome. probability. I'll say that. But. I would love for UCF to beat a big team and for people to shut up. It's a shame because next year they will not be the same team because Scott Frost is leaving. Uh, he's going back to Nebraska as their their head coach. And that's kind of that terrible, you know, self-deprecating loop that all these smaller schools get into that aren't in the Power Five conferences is, you know, you if you get good enough to win big games, then eventually your coaching staff will just kind of leave for yep. schools. with. Well, and, Scott, and, and with Scott Frost, that was definitely, you know, that was definitely like, one of those things where mom called or whatever. Yeah, yeah exactly. He picked so up the he phone for sure. He wanted to end up back in Nebraska, and that's good for Scott Frost, and I think he's going to do yep. fantastic. Yep, yep, yep. Okay, so let's talk about Patreon. Here's what. Here's the deal, guys. We, as you know, we announced this last week. We started a Patreon. We've had nine subscribers. We've met our first goal. Our first goal was just to break 30 bucks a month in subscriptions um, so that we just cover operating costs, and we've met that. Uh, we're going to recognize these guys in a, in a minute, but I just want to say, like, if you subscribe, you can subscribe at, at this point, either $1 or $5. So $1 gets you our rant we, our rant reels as soon as we release them. And $5 gets you basically a special bonus pass podcast every month. The first bonus podcast will be in the month of January. We really appreciate all the people who have done it. And yeah, so let's talk about who is currently subscribed. Right now, we have nine subscribers, nine patrons. Of course, our, our very first one, uh, maybe not our very first one, but one of the first people that comes up on my list right here is West Coast Mark. <laughs> yeah, West Coast Mark. Oh, Mook. Right, we, so we have West Coast Mark. We have Chad Thornhill, Jeff Malmquist, Ian Trapp. Ian, why are you, why are you doing our Patreon? You also run a website. <laughs> I guess that we should probably put money into it as well, right? Yeah, I know, right? Well, we, we already, already have. <laughs> Ryan, we have uh, Ryan Nelson. We have Abby Vincent, who is an old school old school Chapel Bell Curd listener. Yeah. And then we have Daniel Hobbs and Ryan Bailey and then Tom Harlow. So thank you so much to everybody out there who is 
pay, being a patron and we'd invite anybody else who is currently not a patron if you feel like you can give one or five bucks or something we'd love to hear from you i do want to point out real quick and this will probably tickle west coast mark in a, in a very good way is that uh mark has contributed and ryan clark has not yet mark and yeah so you are one of our favorite children now mark that's yeah, for you, you're, in, you're, you're one of the chosen people for <laughs> sure. <laughs> but yeah, this will be really great. I'm really excited. Nathan mentioned the $1 and $5 rewards. The $1 reward gets you a shout out, gets you access to all of the bloopers and uncensored footage. And the $5 will get all kinds of stuff. We're not even totally sure what we want it to be other than everything from the $1 reward. Uh, you'll probably get more bonus episodes and eventually we'll have, we're trying, trying to see right now like what our off season is going to look like and kind of what kind of things we want to dive into and i think we're going to have a lot of really cool opportunities to dive into like narrative based stories on the school and just kind of utilize all of the really cool relationships we have with people we know around town yeah we're going to be bringing in guest people to interview we're going to be bringing in you know anyone we can find with a good story we've got some narratives to do um i think we're going to be doing some live events mm-hmm. um would be you know that was that's one of the patreon things we're going to do um patreon has a capability where we can do a live talk with you and on that live talk we can just get as raunchy as we want you know anything else about patreon you want to say before we get out of here no i think it's pretty cool and i'm just pretty flattered and astounded that people like what we're doing enough to give us money to do it which is pretty great and thank you guys now that um this is happening our wife and fiance my future wife will not be as upset when the bills come in <laughs> yeah that yeah that that if only just to make our marriages a little smoother when i don't have to explain why i'm paying uh so much every month for podcast hosting mm-hmm. um this is a nice thing yeah it's a very that, nice guys. thing <laughs> this has been chapel bell curve you can find us on itunes google play and pretty much anywhere else you can subscribe to a podcast you can get in touch with us on facebook by searching chapel bell curve at email at chapel bell curve at gmail.com and on twitter and instagram at chapel bell curve um i will generally speaking just go nuts on those um social media sites around the game so if you want to just hear someone screaming about uj football which obviously you do you're subscribed to this podcast they're a good place to start uh, also go check out our website chapelbellcurve.com we'll have everything it's kind of a hub for everything we'll, well we have not yet gotten a patreon link but ian if you're listening to this we need to put a patreon page up there um if you enjoyed today's episode please 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 leave us a rating and a review We'll catch you in the Rose Bowl, hopefully, at the end of the month. But until then, we'll catch you in the Classic City. And go dogs! Go dogs! Go dogs!